0: An encouragement to you guys today. Uh, As I said last week, when uh, we are encouraged by seeing God's love for us, then we will go and show God's love to others around us. Okay, so please turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And this section of scripture, just to give you a little context, is stemming from an argument that the author is making that Jesus is supreme over angels. So apparently there was a problem here where uh, Jesus and angels were being put on the same level, and the author is arguing that's not the case. And so basically what he's going to do is he quotes the Old Testament seven different times, those Old Testament quotations referring to who Jesus is, and he's asking, of which of these questions did God ask or say to the angels? And the resounding answer is being none. So in your Bible, you probably see them, they're, they're kind of set apart as like a, a poetic stance or something. Uh, they're set apart from the rest of the text. And so he says, you are my son, today I've begotten you. He never said that of any angels. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, no angels. He said that too. So he's talking about that all the way through. And so that argument and that train of thought is chugging right through to chapter 2 as he continues to exhort believers in this way, the believers at, uh, these Hebrew believers. So we get to chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse number 5. Follow along with me. I'm going to read 5 through 8. It says this. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and so here again he's going to quote the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So I want to do a little building before we get to the main point and the most encouraging point, I think, of this text. Um, But God the Father here is putting everything in subjection. And so in this section here, in Psalm chapter 8, he's talking about God has put everything in subjection to mankind, okay, to human beings. Our purpose at the very beginning of the world was to rule and have dominion over the earth. What it says in Genesis: 128. right? We see that with Adam and Eve. He says, "You are going to have dominion over the earth. I've given all things are subject underneath of you. The animals, the plants, the garden, all this stuff is subjected underneath of you." So he's saying this in the context that we see in the Old Testament is stemming from the beginning of the world, creation. So God puts uh, the world in subjection um, to the humans to reign for his glory, yet we see and we know that they, we, mess it up through sin, forfeiting this right to rule forever, and that forfeit actually then brings in death as a consequence. So the world that God has set up for humans to rule is intoxicated with sin. But thanks be to God that he sent his son into humanity to restore this reign. And so we'll take a look at that. So mankind as rulers is a concept that is fulfilled through Christ. Okay, mankind as ruling and reigning is a concept that then would be fulfilled through Christ, the Son of God. And the author pulls Psalm 8 to reference man's rule of creation, and then at the end of verse 8, so after the quotation marks end, he says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who was for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. And I'll stop there. So we know that he's taking this Psalm 8 text and he's applying it to Christ. Okay? Stick with me. I'm building. So he's the fulfillment of those words and that rule there. So the Father leaves nothing. God the Father leaves nothing outside the control of his Son and puts everything in subjection to him though the text says we do not currently see this. So this is speaking of a future event and that God will finally and ultimately put all things underneath Christ as he rules. But we get glimpses of this in the New Testament. If you want to go to the first slide there, in Matthew 28, we see, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so he's proclaiming there that he has all authority, i.e., everything has been put in subjection under him, right? Right? Um, we see in verse 9 of our text, here in Hebrews 2, it says that same thing. The next slide, Revelation 17, and they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, this is Christ, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. So He is, he is over, supreme over everything. He is the Lord of lords, He is the King of kings. And then we go to Colossians 1, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This is talking about Jesus here. Everything was created through him. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So again, we see Christ supreme as king All authority, everything subjected underneath of him. And then the last text here, Ephesians chapter 1. Man, I am only 24, and I can't read that back there. (laughs) And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So we see how this Psalm 8 text was talking about mankind Mankind failed through sin, and now Christ is the fulfillment of this rule and reign, has always been the case. So there's plenty of points here to see, plenty of scriptures to see that from, that he's ruler, that he's king over everything. And this will be helpful as we build. Let's go to the next two verses here, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to repeat number 9 here. But we see him, for who was a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, this is the second point that's going to build on the first. That Christ is king, he rules over everything, everything's subjected to him. He fulfills what mankind has lost. Next, He was made little lower than the angels. This is a brief mention here of Christmas, right? We see this. He was brought lower than the angels for a little bit of time. He was crowned with glory and honor, and ultimately he goes to suffer at the cross, tasting death in the place of everyone else, everyone that would call on his name. So Jesus Christ, who is ruler in heaven, all authority in heaven, all authority on earth, is in heaven in the midst of perfection, which is made through him and for him, all of this being perfectly praised by millions and millions of angels constantly being, being just shouted out and praised for all eternity, then becomes a little lower than those angels. So the angels praising him, he says, I'm taking a step down to be lower than them in status, if you will, to become a human on earth to save my people. So Jesus condescends and takes on the humble form of a servant, we see that in Philippians chapter 2, and obeying until he suffers and dies on the cross for the sins of the ones who were supposed to rule. Remember, through sin, which ultimately brings about death, humans lose their reign God created for them. They can't rule forever if they can't live forever. So this was fulfilled because Christ came down and tasted death for everyone. Christ fulfills the requirements of being the rightful ruler over God's creation. And the Father didn't just do this so that Jesus himself would be crowned with all glory and honor that we see here in Hebrews 2, although that is the climax of it. He also did this, that many sons, in verse 10, many sons, many daughters, would be brought to glory with him, alongside of him. So, Christ would be the founder of their salvation because the son's need saved and brought to glory with Christ. The way they are saved is by escaping death and separation from Christ. Death and separation need tasted by somebody in order to fulfill the penalty for sin, which is death. Christ tastes death and atones for the payment to be the pioneer of our salvation. And because of Christ entering humanity, many sons, many daughters, me and some of you out there Get to go to glory with Him. That's amazing. So Jesus Christ founds our salvation. He's the producer of our salvation. And one day will complete our salvation. And none of this, notice in this text, none of this happens apart from suffering. This is all done because of suffering. Somebody had to suffer. And it was Christ on our behalf. The suffering and death of the founder was necessary for the salvation of the followers. So all that I say, I'm getting to the point here, I promise, and I won't go another hour. I want us to see the closeness in which this brings us to our Savior. Because this all happening right here is a formula that brings us very close to our Savior. How many of you by raise of hands have siblings? Okay, most of you. If you don't have a sibling, how many of you have a family member or a friend who embarrasses you? Yeah, probably, right? Most, I think I'm accounting for everyone here. So you know the feeling when you're out in public and that friend or family member just does something stupid and you're, and you're tempted in your heart to not want to claim them, right? <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. I'm not related to that person. You say all these things, right? All this stuff happens. I have two older sisters who I am sure I have embarrassed many times over the years, and I also have a younger brother. Now, when I was growing up, my younger brother, he's six years younger than me. I was not very kind to him as an older brother, at all. In fact, there's a lot of times in my life where I wish I could take back things that I said and did to my brother. I was not a kind older brother. I was not a good older brother. Um, And I often wished I didn't have a younger brother. And I know that's terrible, but that was my heart. Um, I remember one Christmas sp- specifically, um, I'm probably in eighth grade, so he's six years younger than me, my parents decided to give us matching sweatshirts, okay, and now this is usually a cute thing or a good thing when you like each other as siblings, but when you don't, this is terrible, okay, this is embarrassing, And I I remember I was so angry. Here my brother is filled with joy because he gets to look like his older brother. And here I am, angry and resentful because I'm never wearing that sweatshirt at the same time he does. And the the dumb part was that it was a cool sweatshirt and I liked it. (laughs) So I would have to eventually wear it. So I refused to wear it at the same time out in public as him. Um, And honestly, I was absolutely... And I hate to use this word, but it was true. I was ashamed of him as my brother. I didn't want to wear the same sweatshirt. I didn't want him to copy everything I did. I didn't want him hanging out when I was hanging out with my friends. I didn't want any of that. So maybe you can relate in a similar sense. I hope um, that it's more so in the joking part at the beginning. But let's read verses 11 and 12. For he who sanctifies, that's Christ... And those who are sanctified, that's all believers, have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Another quote from the Old Testament here. So you have Jesus, the one who is sanctifying, that just means making people more like him or making them more holy, right? And you have the people who are striving to be sanctified, becoming more holy or becoming more like their brother. And you have all of this stemming from one source. And um, this is my uh, emergency sermon. There was supposed to be a sermon preached about Father's Day or something like that today. Um, But here we have one source. We all are coming and stemming from one Father. So there's your Father's Day message there. If this verse says we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, how can that be unless we come from the same source, that being stem from the same Father? So here's the, here's the difficulty here. You have Jesus who's begotten, which means he's not created by the Father like we would be a product of our parents, right, as kids. Um, he's not created, He's begotten, He's always been, He's the second person of the Trinity. He's not the Father, and the Father is not Jesus, but they are one in personhood. They're distinct persons, but in the same personhood. Okay? So, uh, Jesus was begotten, believers are adopted, but we all have the same Father. When I talked about last week, actually... When we are saved, when we put our faith in Christ, like you saw these two people just do today, they get adopted into a new family. We get adopted into a new family. It's God's family. It's perfect. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's everything it's supposed to be. And since we all have one Father, this is where Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call other believers my brothers and my sisters. And so here's where I find much encouragement. I find much encouragement in the fact that we literally can call, as believers, can call Jesus our brother. That is incredible. I don't know how that is possible. The one who has everything subjected to him, has all authority, came from heaven in the midst of perfection, down to earth to die on the cross to make us brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the Most High God. I can't fathom. I can't fathom. So in the middle of our sinfulness... And what would be constituted as an embarrassment to Jesus Christ, to your brother, he sees this and still says, that's my brother, that's my sister, and with no shame. So when we fail to imitate him rightly, when we turn our back on him, when we doubt Christ our Savior, that does not change what he calls us in our positioning in the family. By God's grace, that does not change who we are in the family, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're talking about the king of the universe here, calling you a brother or a sister. The king of the universe. The one that made the universe. Through him and for him, all things were made. Everything you've seen and everything you've never seen is all for him. He's the king of it. He's supreme. And he's your brother. So... Again, if you're a follower of Christ, this is your status. I have a verse up there, Revelation 3. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. One day, Christ will confess your name if you're saved here today with no shame before his Father to let you into the family. Psalm 22 is quoted here in verse 12. Uh, Jesus telling um, to the Father, so he's, so you have to kind of see he's speaking to the Father in this verse, or at least how the author of Hebrews puts it here. I will tell of your name, the Father's name, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So this is where the author of Hebrews is saying, this is, he's not ashamed to say these things. So we can, we can confidently say here that Jesus is in fact our brother and he's, he's not saying it with any shame. This is incredible. And so the the difficulty is here, saying it is one thing, but um, showing it is another. And so I direct your eyes back to the previous verses that we've built on today. He tasted death for everyone. In Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says, He predestined us for adoption himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, he has come to earth to make you brothers and sisters, and through the death of Christ, we are adopted into the family. And he's showing us that he's not ashamed, more so, not just only in his speech, but also in deed, as he dies, to make it so that we could be in the family, to draw us close as kin to him. And his death not only grants the salvation of our sins, but also puts us into Uh, This brotherhood, our lineage change, our inheritance changes. So you look to Christ, who is the king and the ruler, and you call him your brother. And he looks back at you and calls you brother or sister um, in an infinitely greater way. And more love behind that statement. And as you look at his hands and feet, you know the cost of which he traveled to make you a part of the family. As you look at the nail scarred hands and feet of Jesus Christ, you look at him And you know that He just didn't say things, but He did them as well to make us family. It reminds me of one day when we'll be there with Christ. This is a hymn called Nothing That My Hands Can Do by Sovereign Grace Music. Um, And this is the line it reminds me of. For then I'll look on Jesus Christ, and to His arms I'll run. And when I see him face to face, what glory that will be. To look upon my Savior's scars and know they were for me. Isn't that amazing? There won't be any scars in heaven except for the ones which, require, which our sin required on Christ our Savior. Your scars, embarrassing as they are or whatever, you won't have them anymore. You'll be made perfect. But there will be scars on the Savior's hands and feet and in his side to remind you of the redemption that is found in Christ. So I'm incredibly encouraged by this text. And, and so we take this encouragement and we build on that to then um, produce life change, to go be different because of what we know of the Father's love. You don't just look at the love of Christ and then be unchanged about it, okay? That can't be. You can't understand like genuinely understand the love of Christ and not go be changed and be different. It doesn't work like that. So because of the encouragement and joy brought to me through this text, it challenges me, and I'm going to present that challenge to you. Um, Sophie and I, we lived in Wheeling, West Virginia, which is the northern panhandle of the state you currently are in. Um, and we were a part of a ministry called Young Life, which is a student outreach to high schoolers. And so we were part of this ministry, and we met at this person's house Every week, and they just so happened to be the house that lived across the street from where Brad Paisley used to live. Do you guys know who Brad Paisley is? I would assume so, right? Famous country music artist, yeah. Maybe one of the most famous country music artists. He's actually from West Virginia, a place called Glendale. Have you ever heard of Glendale, West Virginia? I didn't think so. Okay, it's close to Moundsville, and so we did a ministry at this person's house, and they would always, with no shame, always say, Brad Paisley used to live there. (laughs) Okay, who cares about that? Brad Paisley used to live there. Actually, the sign for the street was Brad Paisley Boulevard. And actually, as you entered the town, which probably had a couple hundred people in it, there was a sign that said, home of Brad Paisley, country music star, okay? And so the people that we did this house at, they, they were not ashamed to say... That's Brad Paisley's house. In fact, they told everybody, and they come in, and then I started doing it. And I'm saying, hey, Brad, I go to this thing called Young Life, and we meet at this person's house, and they live across the street from where Brad Paisley used to live. (laughs) And I then became like, that is so dumb. Why am I saying that? (laughs) But I wasn't ashamed to say it. I wasn't ashamed to tell all my friends, Brad Paisley, he probably walked these streets here, right? (laughs) They weren't family, but they just lived across the street where he used to live, and they would tell people that with no shame. So, dumb analogy, but how much more should we be unashamed to tell people and speak the name of Jesus Christ? So, playing on the words of Psalm 22, should we not go tell of his name to other people? Should we not go tell people about our brother and what he's done? Should we not go sing his name loudly in the midst of a congregation with no shame, no matter if you can sing or if you can't? When we leave this building, we should never be ashamed to speak of our Lord and our King and our ruler and our brother. There should never be shame when we speak the name of Christ so that we can cry out with, with Paul in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If it means death, it means death. If it means persecution, it means persecution. He died for me. He was persecuted for me. That's my brother, and I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you what he's done because he can be your brother too. So never should we have shame. Christ has every right to be ashamed of us. Every right to be ashamed of us. We have given him countless reasons why and we will continue to give him countless reasons why. It was never, listen, it was never advantageous for Christ to come and make us his family. Never. There was no advantage to that. It costs him everything else. He left glory, the midst of perfection, the ruler of the universe, he came and died on a cross being a human. He walked to the ground that he made. He obeyed the law that he authored. He did all this for the glory of his name and to make us sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we bring absolutely nothing to the table. Uh, there's one more verse up here, Hebrews 12. So this is later on, the same book. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, okay? This is springing from chapter 2. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ died a shameful death so that he would, without shame, profess us as brothers and sisters joy motivated him that one day his brothers and sisters would come home to the praise of his glory and what ephesians 2 7 says he will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us and himself so we need not to be ashamed of christ but to proclaim him all the more so i pray that this morning as we wrap up here that god convicts us today to go and tell of him to go and talk about our brother that we would be bold that we would not be ashamed I mean, if you think about it, what is there to be ashamed of? Immense love? Riches and kindness and grace towards us? That somebody would love us so much that they would sacrifice themselves for us? These are all the things that we love to read about in all our novels and books and movies, right? We want to see that happen. We're not ashamed to talk about Marvel or anything like that, right? So how could we be ashamed to tell the name of Christ? If Christ's family status to us makes him not ashamed to call us kin then our status with Jesus as our brother should cause us to not be ashamed to speak of him. So we need to leave here today and go tell tell others of the sovereign king of the universe who just so happens to be your brother. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing that you would, by your son, make us sons and daughters. Thank you for the love that you show us. God, embolden us. Give us fervor and a passion to go tell the lost about you. Help us to never be ashamed, that we can't keep it in, that we would scream out with the prophet Jeremiah and say, it is a fire that burns within me and I cannot hold it back. So let us go and tell of your gospel. Let's go and share what you have done for us, and what you have done to take away the sins of the world. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.